All right, guys. So we're asking this question from Ephesians chapter 3. How did Veritas Church come to be? And the first answer that I'm giving to that question is that Veritas Church came to be through God's extraordinary power. And so Paul said that he became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace according to the working of his power. So this is really a contrast between the way that God's power works and the way that human power works. So when you think of an explanation that you would normally give for a successful company or a successful group, you would attribute the power behind that success to human achievement. So you might say that the people who were in charge were smarter than everybody else, or they were more intuitive than everybody else, or they were stronger, more diligent, or more hardworking than everybody else. And Paul had that perspective about himself. He was a religious person, a person who memorized scripture. He was a person who was sort of a leading person in his field, a person with the equivalent of a couple PhDs. He was an achiever. And then Jesus stopped him in the midst of his achievement and said, you've got this all wrong. This is not how the church of Jesus Christ, this is not how the kingdom of God is built. But the kingdom of God is built through human weakness and an experience of God's power. It's not about what we have done. It's about what God has done. So when I look at this crowd, I don't see something that Mark Arendt did or that Drew Stevenson did or that Ryan Hamby did or that any of the elders of Veritas Church did. I see something that God did. And we're here to testify not to our human achievement and pat ourselves on the back, but we're here to give all the glory and all of the honor to Jesus. Because like Paul said, the church comes from the gospel. And he unpacks the gospel, which means good news, by saying that it's not about human achievement, but it's about the grace of God. And so God, in his grace, sent his son to rescue us. So Jesus died the death that we deserve. He was buried in a tomb for three days, but because he was both God and man, he rose from death. And he's not a legend that we talk about like, oh, that's really cool in the Bible when Jesus used to do great things. Like he's a basketball player from the 80s. But we're saying that Jesus is alive today and that Veritas Church is an expression of his incredible grace that is continuing to be at work in this generation. This is a gift of God's grace. This is a miracle, which is why I'm not here to boast in what we've done, but I'm here to boast in what Jesus had done. I remember having this conversation with this woman a long time ago when I was in the process of raising support. And this woman was going to a church that was in, in decline. It was a dying church. And I was talking to her about that, and she was grieving over the reality of being part of this dying church. And I said to this woman whose name was Evelyn, I said, Evelyn, what would you like to see change in your church? 
And she said, what I'd like to see change in my church is I want those leaders to cling to the blood of Jesus. I want them to talk about the blood of Jesus. And what she was saying is, it's not that they're not smart enough. It's not that they're not powerful enough. It's not that they're not good enough communicators. It's just that they've gotten the message wrong. The message that we rely on, the message that we cling to, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in another place that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of every person who believes. So here's what's extraordinary about the power of God. Anybody can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this. And so if you're starting to think, oh, the way that I get in on this is by repenting enough or doing the right things or attending enough services, that's not how you get in on this. The way that you get in on this is you simply recognize your need. You recognize that the power for life change does not exist inside of you, but by looking to Christ. And so I want to call you, man, if you're not saved, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to become a part of this, not by outward religious participation, but by experiencing the power of a new life. And all you have to do is look at Jesus. And my testimony and the testimony of everyone who has genuinely met Jesus here is that he can take the most broken person and make them brand new. And Jake's going to talk about how God uses ordinary people to accomplish his mission over and over again. And it'll be obvious why Jake's given this part of the message, because he's the most ordinary. It's that funny. All right. So God has extraordinary power to transform, to save. Let's look at verse 8. It says, to me, though I was very least of all these, which is kind of hurts my feelings that Mark assigned this one to me. Uh, but, but that's the point. God can use any God uh, shows or displays his extraordinary power through ordinary people. And when you look at Jesus and his disciples and the, the people that he picked, in fact, in Acts 4, it says these are just ordinary or, or uneducated men. Uh, that's who he picked to use. Uh, and then you look at Paul, who's, who's writing this, and he, he's like, well, Paul did have some skills. He was a very educated person. He had a lot of credentials, but he was unlikely. Like, why, why me? And said, I'm ordinary. I got a bad mic. I got everything. This is my... But Paul's like, why, why me? He was so unlikely that, that God's almost just showing off by picking Paul. Like, I'm going to pick anybody, anywhere, at any time, and do what I want to do. Like, that's the size of the God that we serve. He was just showing off. In fact, there's a story in the book of Judges about Gideon and uh, Gideon's army. And Gideon's called to, uh, to lead an army into battle for Israel. And he has like 32,000 soldiers, and they're going into, arm, uh, into battle. And God's like, you got too many, which has never been a problem in war. Nobody's ever said, hey, we have too many soldiers. But he's like, you got too many. And I'm afraid that you're going to think that you won this battle. So why don't you tell anybody that's afraid just to go home? Uh, so he says, hey, if you're, if you're a chicken, go home. So they lose 10,000. They're down to 22,000. And then uh, uh, God's like, hey, I, you still got too many. I'm concerned you're not going to know that it's me. Uh, so he, uh, he says, all right, go down to the river. And anybody who laps up water like a dog, that's who I'll take. Like, I'll just take those type of people, and I'm going to do something great with them. So I guess that's us, right? Like, we get, we're in that category. But it comes down to 300 men. 
and they win this battle. Because God's like, I, this is what I accomplish. It, it's God who does this. In fact, Mark's often pointing to uh, the Lord of the Rings and, uh, and just kind of what we're experiencing. And that, uh, if you're a nerd like me and familiar with that, you know, it's like it's the, the hobbits that saved the world, the, the nobodies, the unexpected. But it's not like every hobbit's a hero. Most hobbits are just kind of got their heads down, living a comfortable life in the Shire. But Gandalf calls some hobbits on an adventure. In fact, he goes to Bilbo and he's like, you're a burglar. <laughs> I'm not a burglar, right? Just like God went to Gideon and said, you're a mighty warrior. He's like, I'm not a mighty warrior. You're going to be. And I want you to hear the call of the adventure because Drew's right. Anybody can get on in this. Let's read this. It says, to me, through I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. It's by grace. Amen to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the church is where it's at. It may be messy, but it's powerful. That's the point. It's full of a bunch of broken people, but God's doing powerful things. He said, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is the eternal purpose? Like, this is going to happen. This is the purpose of God. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's the mystery hidden for ages. It's the manifold wisdom of God. And it's to preach or to proclaim that, uh, to bring it to light to everybody, to make it known. That's the purpose. Listen, this isn't about you. This isn't about how good you are or not good you are, how, what talents you have or don't have, how much money you make. or don't. It's not about you. It's about this message. It's about the message of the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's the gospel that Drew just explained. And chances are, as we look out in this, this audience here, that for a lot of people, that gospel, that message wrecked you. It changed your life. It changed your direction in life. It changed your passions and pursuit in life. It changed you. It sent you on a new trajectory. And listen, whoever you are, whoever you are, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your income is, whatever your talents are, whoever you are, you devoted to making this message come to light to everyone, God will use you to do extraordinary things. Ordinary people for extraordinary things. And anybody can get on this. I just look back at the last 10 years and it's just amazing. It's been uh, so tremendous to see what God has done. It's like, man, I want to know what God's going to do in the next 10 years. Like, I want a front row seat to that. Not just a front row seat. Like, I want to be a tool in God's hands for that he uses to do those things. That's what life is about, and anybody can get in on that. And hopefully uh, David will make sense of how that happens. All right. So, so far he said, hey, this thing that's happening, like all of this, it ca- it's like extraordinary power, right? This isn't anything we've did. It's like it's extraordinary power, but it's not just normal power. Like we know us, we know how messed up and broken we are. So we didn't need like a little bit of power. We needed a lot of power, right? Amen, yeah. amen. Okay, so we needed not just like worldly power. We needed supernatural spiritual power from a God who can create things from His Word. We needed that kind of power in order to become the church. And then we're talking about the church is filled with really, really normal, normal people, ordinary people. But the last thing he's going to talk about is the thing we're supposed to do, display this indescribable love of God. And so read with me kind of these next verses here. He's going to pray for us, which is so cool. He's going to pray for Veritas Church right now. That's what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have strength. Okay, now just stop. Don't read ahead. What's he been saying so far, right? He's saying, okay, you need power, and you're going to be the, you're going to be the church. Normal, ordinary power, they're going to be kind of displaying this, right? There's this grace that's given to preach to the Gentiles, bring light to like everyone in, in around us in the world. This mystery, this plan will be revealed. And he's saying that through the church, through us, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God is actually going to be revealed to the people around us. And that the love of God is going to be on display for the world to see. And so he prays for strength. He, he's praying that actually the power of God would make us strong for something. And you need to be strong to do things, right? You need to be strong to lift things. You need to be strong to endure things. You need to be strong to carry things. But he's actually praying that we would be a group of people who are strong to comprehend something, to understand something. And so what all of this is being built together for, right? Because we're just getting together just to, to hang out. We're being built into something. We're being knit together in love, it says. What is the goal of all this strengthening that's happening here in this church and in all kinds of churches around the world? Well, this is what he says. He says that you, you, sitting in your seat, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now, this is amazing. I was thinking about this last week as we were preparing this sermon together, the three of us, okay? <laughs> what Paul is praying for is that as a community of people, as God's church, he's praying that we would actually be strong enough to receive the weight of the kind of love God has for us. I say, yes, we are the church. And yes, you're going to go out into the world. You're going to be on mission for him. Yes, you're going to be a display to the whole world of who he is. Yes, you're going to reveal the mysteries of God to creation. But the question is, how are we normal people going to do this? Well, he says we're going to be built together. We're going to be empowered by his spirit. We're going to be knit together into a group of people that are strong enough to actually receive the kind of gift God's trying to give us. Right? Do you understand why the Bible is filled with so many commands and, and disciplines and things for Christians to do? Right? There's so much in here about training, about how to train yourself for godliness, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Spirit, and all of it, all of it is so that we could become, through the power of God, that normal, average, poor, pathetic people could actually be remade and renewed in such a full and complete way not so that we'd become eloquent and powerful enough to go out into the world right, and tell everyone about God. Not so we'd become strong enough to be these courageous warriors for God to go out into the world and evangelize anyone. That's not what he says. He says so that but we ourselves would become vessels strong enough, whole enough, to actually withstand the weight of the torrent of the love of God he's trying to pour on your life so that we could actually become strong enough to be filled with all the fullness of God. Even though this is a parking lot and a grass lot filled with really normal people, there is nothing normal about what's happening here. Nothing normal. 
is happening in our lives, in our small groups, in our families, in our hearts. What God is doing is he's using us to tell the world something about him. And he is revealing the mysteries of the gospel by pouring out the fullness of his love on people like us. And by taking people like us and filling us with all of himself. And Paul's prayer at the end of this passage is merely that we would be people who are strong enough to receive in full what he's trying to give us. Like, do you understand what that's saying? And if you're a follower of Jesus, you should listen in because he's saying today as you sit here as a follower of Jesus, you have received that gift. But it's saying he can't give the fullness of it to you yet. It is yours. It's been bought and paid for. But you aren't yet strong enough to receive it in full. You're like the 18-year-old kid who's inherited the fortunes of his father, his empire. But if he just turns the full taps on today, it would overwhelm and crush you because it's a weight you can't yet handle. But day by day, as we grow together, and as this group of ordinary people empowered by God become more and more of who we are, we will continue to behold more and more of the love that God has for us. And this love that God has for us, his prayer is that we might know it. And the question is, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It doesn't even make sense. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, he tells you it's by being filled with him who surpasses all things. Some of you who are sitting in this, not room, outside under the sun, some of you who are here, you actually know so much about God, but you know it intellectually and from a distance. And he's saying that the thing he's talking about, the reason you need power to know this is because it's not just intellectual knowledge, it's heart knowledge. If Jake was here right now, he'd give you an illustration about food. He'd say, hey, it's one thing to know about beef brisket, it's another thing to fill yourself with it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, okay, amen. (laughs) It's different. And what what this is saying, what Paul is saying, is he's saying to know the love of God is not just to know intellectually, it's to know it here. It's actually to be filled with it, to be united with it, to be joined with it. And over time, as Jesus starts to fill us, he says that he'll finish the work he started. So that you who sit here today are very excited, just know that there is going to be a day where you will know in full what you only now know in part. That you would know the love of God, and while the Spirit of God has already been poured into our hearts as a down payment, Paul is praying that we would be strong enough so that literally we would be filled with all the fullness of God. You have part. You have the Spirit. He's praying you to be strong enough so that all of him would fill you. And the more that we know this, not just know it here, but we know it here, the more we're filled with it, the more we receive what God is giving to us, the more our lives are actually going to be this display to the world of that love. The mystery hidden for ages, the plan that is unfolding before the rulers of the world, this manifold wisdom of God that we're displaying is that the creator of all things has decided to pour out his love on you at the cost of his life. It's a love that you can't even begin to grasp the edges of. And if you want your life to matter, if you want to jump in on this, if you want to become part of this family and you want to begin declaring the glory of the riches of God, then you don't need strength to go out and do something. He's saying you need strength to receive something. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. The church of God and Veritas Church is not finishing what God started. We are receiving what Jesus has already bought and paid for by his blood. 
And when we do this, when we become more and more of these people who receive this, who know his love, then the mystery and the grace and the power and the love of God will be displayed powerfully for the whole rest of the world to see. Paul ends, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And my question as we end is, what does it mean that God can do immeasurably more? What is the immeasurably more that God can do? This If you're taking notes, the sermon was extraordinary power in ordinary people to display indescribable love. And now it ends with an invitation. Anyone can get in on this. And when Paul says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, he's saying, God wants to invite you, the person sitting in your chair, or on your blanket. He wants to invite you into something that's eternal, that will be far beyond anything that your mind can comprehend. So it's kind of like this. Um, back in 1983, there was this, this new kind of a tech startup. And this guy uh, had kind of started this, this computer thing, and, and he had this thing going, and, and he had a big vision big vision to change the world with his little gadgets and computer toys. And uh, so he, he had the audacity to go to the vice president of Pepsi. Now, you have to understand, was anyone um, born in the 70s that you were alive to probably remember this back in the 80s? Anyone born in the 70s? Raise your hand. So some of you, some of you in this crowd remember this, that uh, it, was, it was Coke. Coca-Cola had the market, right? But there was this emerging company, Pepsi. And in the, in the 80s, this guy, uh, John Scully, came up with the Pepsi Challenge and, and really brought Pepsi into relevance, into the cola market. And aren't we grateful for that? Uh, and uh, so anyway, um, Pepsi comes in, and John Scully's kind of the man. So this, this guy, this, this tech startup guy, goes to John Scully in 1983, and he says, hey, man, you want to quit your job and come work f- for me? And John was like, why would I ever quit this job with Pepsi to come work for you? And he said, if you want to keep selling sugar water for the rest of your life, that's fine with me. But if you want to change the world, you come work with me at Apple. Steve Jobs was offering John Scully the opportunity to get in on something that would be far beyond his ability to understand what it would become. And here we are, carrying the evidence of this, immeasurably more. The apple is worth $2 trillion dollars. We don't even have the ability in our minds to comprehend 
what Steve Jobs was offering John Scully. And guess what? Steve Jobs is dead. And John Scully is retired somewhere in Florida, probably collecting seashells. I'm inviting you into something far better than a startup company that's going to be worth trillions of dollars someday. Because I'm offering you an invitation to get on in on the only thing in this life that will keep going even long after you're gone. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And anyone can get in on this, not just the privileged vice presidents who are experts in marketing, the humble poor can get in on this. And when we get to heaven, we are going to see some of the poorest people on this earth are going to be princes, kings and queens, that if we were to see them now, we would want to bow down and worship them. And God's going to show us the immeasurably more, and all of us can get in on this. I don't know about you, but I want to get in on something that's going to go on forever. I don't need $2 trillion. I want to get in on something that's not going to matter to me in 30 years, but 30 million years from now is still going to matter. And this morning, we are about to see people get baptized. They're going to get dunked in this water. Don't worry, we've been heating this water for three days now, and it's nice and warm. You might want to jump in later. And what I'm saying is this is a symbol. This is kind of where it starts. In the Bible, the message was repent, believe, and get dunked. And these people are about to get dunked as a symbol of their dying to their old self. They go into the water as a, as a symbol of their death to their old self. And when they come out, it's a symbol of being raised up to new life in Jesus Christ. And we are going to witness these people taking the invitation, accepting the invitation to follow Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're offering the same invitation to you. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in 10 years, in 40 years, by God's grace, I'll be here to celebrate the 50th. But far more in 50 million years, this is still going to matter. It's going to be amazing. Anyone can get on us. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this miracle that you have done, that you have kept your promise that I, Jesus, you said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. There's no political regime that's going to stop it. There's no virus that's going to stop it. There's no pestilence. There's no plague. There's nothing that will stop the church of Jesus Christ, this family of believers held together in love, saved by grace, 
held by love. And God, we ask that today every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.